Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a startup founder, management consultant, and mechanical engineer. Hi, I'm Elliot. I'm also a startup founder, uh, PhD in biomedical engineering, and a little bit of an expert in artificial intelligence. And this is our podcast where we, each week, bring a topic to the table and shoot the shit over it. Yep, we explore lots of different things, generally focused around AI, problem solving, health tech, but anything that catches our fancy during the week, you'll hear about it here. If you'd like to have us review something, talk about it, hit us up on Twitter and send it through and we'll get it on the show. All right. Episode six. Woohoo. Yeah, we're doing well. This is, um, is... this is Tim Ferriss's like thing, right? He said he'll do six minimum. So That's on it, the other man. side of this, we're better than Tim Ferriss. Basic, I mean, yeah, because he only ever did six episodes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, what you drinking, man? What you got? Is that a little uh, NHS-themed <laughs> cup I see there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, this is brought to you by the NHS. Actually, no, we should really be careful about that. I'm pretty sure they're pretty sensitive about saying stuff like that. That this cup was the... brought to Tom by the NHS. That's all we're claiming. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I'm actually drinking uh, just a French press this morning. Just uh, your classic M&S brew that you could buy, like the home brand equivalent of the UK. Um, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Like, you know, as long as you don't roast those beans too much in the water, then happy days. Yeah, good. I mean, man, I recall last week you had uh, a little bit of a crazy mix of several different coffees. So this sounds like an improvement. Mm, yeah, the mutt and the mutt of coffees. Uh, yes. What are you drinking? You got anything? Uh, yeah, man, I've got this. Uh, I got. It. I'm on the red wine tonight. I. Um, it's a. It's a Pinot. It's quite a nice one. It's from Victoria. Uh, it's. I found it. We we have this sort of bespoke. Bespoke. It sounds too fancy. We have this this non supermarket owned bottle shop near us, um, and they got a lot of weird and wonderful things. And this one is a Pinot that I just picked up. One afternoon and it's just a small little winery down in victoria the guy's like personal uh i think it's hotmail or yahoo mail email address is on the front of the bottle uh it's a it's a great drop of wine like really really good so uh this is second or third time i've bought a bottle and uh it's worth getting i'll uh see if i can find a way to link that isn't just putting this just email in the uh in the show notes because you should buy this wine. It's good. You cannot say P no to it. Yes. You've got to laugh at like you're the only one listening. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, speaking of laughing and listening, uh, if you are checking us out, please do subscribe, uh, hit the like button, leave a comment, do all that stuff that like, you know, people got to do and it's always a bit weird to ask for, but I don't know, we want more people to see this and hopefully getting a lot out of it. Um, and if you got any suggestions, throw them down below as well. Speaking of listening, I went back and listened to our five episodes. What I do committed you think? to listening to our five episodes. Should, should we, we hit number five? This episode? <laughs> Look, actually, that's a lie. I didn't listen to episode one because of the echo, so mm. not a ringing endorsement for episode one. But I, I'm probably doing that thing that everyone who starts a podcast thinks that they're doing, which is like, I thought we were pretty good. We're better than I thought we would be. I thought this would just be us just going, uh, uh, aphemism, aphemism, uh, for like an hour, but it 
I found myself laughing at jokes that I'd already heard. So, so. You, you heard it here first, guys. Tom laughs at his own jokes. It's I perfect. yours, not mine. Oh, sure, sure. All right, man. Uh, let's get straight. I've got some feedback for us. I've got some yeah. feedback for us. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to be more confident. I need to speak a little bit louder. That's one thing. I have a, I have a little bit like that. No, I need a bit more force behind the voice. Mm-hmm. I think we need to just ask the question and not give examples afterwards because we're both smart enough to understand what the question is. Just get more to the point. So confidence this week. That's that's the aim of the game. All right. Well, confidently, Tom, what do you want to talk about? What's on your list? That's a great, great question, Elliot. Thanks for asking. So this week, I... Uh, it's it's kind of like a pretty uh, oh gosh I hit the button now I'm looking at the Bank of England I don't want to do that um, so this week is like a kind of like meta analysis because I listened to the review of an article in a podcast and then I went and read the article um, so a meta um, meta analysis exactly yeah I like it um, and funnily enough in that podcast they were talking about uh, one of the co-hosts was telling the other co-host to stop taking someone's fifth derivative of something and producing a sixth derivative of it and rather just focus on producing something from primary source. So I'm doing exactly what he told his co-host not to do, which is which is that. Uh, today, today, I want to jump into an article called How to Understand Things. And it's by a guy called, uh, and apologies if I get this wrong, Nabil Qureshi. Uh, he works at Palantir at Health Research at the NIH. Uh, so he's health tech kind of guy. Um, he's from Manchester, England, so just up the road from where I am, and he's worked all over the world. Um, and he's got the Prince degree from Oxford, which is philosophy, politics, and economics. So he mm. could be a prince is what I'm saying. But we're not here to talk about Nabil. We're here to talk about his article of how to understand things. Um, it was a cool article, and it was a cool podcast to listen to as well. So what, um, was it him on the podcast or somebody else looking at his paper? No. So the podcast itself was Ali Abdal and his brother Tamir, oh. who's a YouTuber and podcaster and general creator that we both follow. Uh, and they were discussing this article. Um, and I found the article interesting and I was about to start talking about it with Elliot. And then I was like, hang on, why don't we just talk about it when we're recording? So that's what we're doing today. So... The point, the kind of like premise of the article came about when the author kind of noticed that the smartest people weren't the quickest to answer or had the best memory or things like that. But it was just the people that were willing to least accept the answer at face value or accept answers that they don't understand. And they kind of came to this, which I really like this quote. And this is kind of like what jumped push me into going into this article which is intelligence is as much about virtues such as honesty integrity and bravery as intel uh, as it is uh not how quickly you respond to multiplicative problems or recall from your memory okay yeah i mean that so, that seems very in line with you know the old stoic principles and and all of that back in the day you know live this rounded principled life but what's that mean yeah, so he kind of, he kind of, do... oh no, that's the end of the discussion. Yeah, uh, cool. So... Short episode this week, guys. Thanks a lot. See you next time. <laughs> Ironically, we cannot understand the article on how to understand things. So uh, he kind of divides it up into six parts, um, the article. 
and I'll try not to just regurgitate the article and we'll actually have a discussion about it. Um, but the first part is all about uh, this idea about intelligence being about honesty and bravery actually translates into a single trait, which is not stopping at the unsatisfactory answer. So keep on pushing, keep on pushing. Um, the second part of the article then goes into saying, well, the reason why not everyone does this is because this is hard. It takes energy. Um, and Nabil himself concludes that the drive to make this energy is a like raw honesty with yourself. Yeah. So you will have this energy to search for the problem. If you are honest with yourself about uh, search for the understanding and search more into the problem, if you truly are honest with yourself and are able to say, I don't understand this. Um, and there was a nice quote in there at this point, which is about Richard Feynman, which said, Feynman said that the first rule of science is that you do not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. I reckon <laughs> we have mentioned Richard Feynman on every single episode of this podcast, <laughs> just as a side note. We've also we've also mentioned uh, maker maker versus manager schedule three times now, so it's good. It's good yeah. for those playing the drinking game at home. Uh, bottoms up. Uh, 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 so the first and second part are just kind of like stating his premise of that intelligence is about not giving up until you've got a satisfactory answer, and it's hard to get to that point because it requires a lot of energy. So how do you balance that with like, well, two things. How do you balance that with the like Sigma grind set nonsense? Uh, and explain, or... explain Sigma grind set because I didn't know what it was until you showed me how obsessed you are with it. Oh my God. So what happened was we were at a social event, Tom and I, with two of our other friends uh, who we have a, a little goal setting group with. And uh, somebody in the group thought it'd be funny to watch a video about uh, Sigma, Sigma male grind set, which is like, this nonsense inspirational videos about like just how to be a sigma male or something and uh alpha your way through life like alpha male your way through life. yeah yeah i think it's like the level above alpha is meant to be sigma anyway it's dumb but uh i was plugged into the tv because we were looking at uh a spreadsheet before that of all things and uh like so you do it, like you do at most social outings yeah yeah it was a very very goal-oriented social outing but anyway uh so we popped it up on YouTube and then only after we watched that video did uh, I realize I was logged in. And ever since then, I would say at least a third of my YouTube video recommendations are Sigma male grind set videos. And like, they're just so bad. I do not recommend them to anyone. Um, so your question. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that one was a bit of a joke. Uh, but... <sighs> The thing I was teetered between in this problem is like, how do you switch between searching for the answer and knowing when to quit? Yeah, or like to me, it's also like a speed versus speed versus progress question as well. Like speed versus depth. Sorry, so how yeah. quickly do you want to move through problems versus how deep do you want to go on the problem, and when is it right to go deep versus fast? Yeah, I mean, does does it touch on that? No, it doesn't. Well. Looks like we're writing a follow-up paper. Because I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Got to work hard. You got to push through it. You got to. Uh, I'm all for the 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 old Cal Newport, the deep work. It's one of the yellow books over there. Uh, but I don't know. Like, 
at the same time, like there is certainly going to be a point where you're like, you know what, me understanding the inner workings of like how this pen is made, like there's diminishing returns there for sure. Yeah. And I also, I also like for someone who does like you come from a research background, I don't, I came from a business background, which was like, literally we had something called day one answer, which was get an answer in the first day. So you can actually like start to like put some meat on the bones of what you're trying to solve. And so I also wonder how much of this is applicable to the sciences and the, like the hard sciences and the research world versus not. Um, and I bet the answer is real boring and somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, during my time uh, as a PhD student and these days supervising new PhD students as they come through, like, there's a certainly point in projects where you need to stop and put something down, like nail something down. Cause a lot of this stuff is so nebulous yeah. that you sort of just get caught in the, the torrents of it all and go down weird rabbit holes as both you and I could attest to. And there's something to be said of putting things out in the world and, and I guess nailing, making them concrete. Yeah, my, my kind of like, if I had to, like, obviously there's not going to be some hard and fast rule, but I, if you if you look for, you know, rules of thumb, indicators as to where you should go deep, where you should go fast, to me, especially in, you like, it should almost be at the first principle levels of your field. That's where you should go real deep and understanding that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. It, you know, that hedgehog model or... Ikagi or whatever it is, or um, Scott Dilbert, what's his last name? Yeah, Scott. Anyway. Anyway, his whole thing about like stacking skills, like I think that's absolutely right. And in the weird like combo of things you've chosen to be prime at, definitely be the best at it. But like a lot of other stuff, uh, well, yeah, a lot of other stuff probably just like chill out. <laughs> yeah. You Unless know, you're doing it for fun, in which case, like, do whatever you want. But yeah, you know. I'll put it this way: like, I, I, I like cooking doesn't give me that much pleasure. I like I like cooking for big groups and things like that. Um, but like, you know, middle of the week, I need calories in my mouth. Cooking doesn't bring me that much pleasure. I'm probably not going to jump into the. Actually, that sounds pretty cool. Jumping into the first principles of cooking. Now that I say that. Anyway, yeah, that's... I mean, on that for you and potentially anyone listening like have you read the book slash watched the netflix show of that salt fat acid heat yeah, yeah it's great uh, the book yeah book's really good man you should get it if you haven't got it yeah, um, yeah we got it because it's very first principles and i like that a lot yeah well and like i love my bread book which is flour water salt yeast yeah i think i've got i think that's somewhere on that shelf as well yeah. it's a good book it's like out of the startup startup founding toolkit, I reckon. Bake yeah. some bread, have the book. I mean, spe speaking of startups and bread, sorry to sidetrack us here. There is a starters and bread. And there is a series of bread books, uh, which are like they just have this beautiful photography. Uh, I can't remember the name of them, but I'll put them in the show notes. They cost like several hundred dollars for the full series, and the guy that set it all up is uh, ex Microsoft engineer. He was pretty high up and he was like, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to make bread. And uh, yeah, one day I'm going to buy that set of books uh, when yeah. I can justify several hundred dollars on pictures of bread. 
I still uh I still have my spreadsheet, which I call my breadsheet, which is only just tracking tracking my loaves. Yeah, I got a field notes notebook somewhere, which is all the different times I've attempted to make bread. I was gonna try and optimize it. Uh but I didn't. I just ate the bread and that was good enough. <laughs> I knew when to quit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get back to mm. first principles. Uh me let's go let's let's go something else uh wine growing wine i like drinking wine probably i don't feel the need to learn the first principles around vino culture i have a very specific example about this but i'm going to skip it in the interest of being more to the point (laughs) so there is a like non-zero chance that this wine grower was somebody who I once had the opportunity to go and work at their vineyard for six months unpaid or well, paid in wine board and dinner uh, to learn how to make wine down in Victoria. And I was like 16, 17, so in like high school, and I thought it was uncool to do that. No, I was probably 18 because he was going to give me wine. Uh, so I passed it up. It's a big regret that I never went and did that. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I should stop picking and keep picking. I keep picking bad examples. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. You get the point, everyone out there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've done this to death. Yeah. Okay. So first, second part is all about going hard on problems. Uh, not, not, not giving up at the first answer, and but doing that takes effort and is hard. And we've concluded that there's only a certain amount of problems that you should actually do that for. Third part of the uh, of the article jumps into kind of the mechanics of how to improve your how to improve how you understand things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives a lot of cool examples about certain scientists across the way and certain people in the in the in the zeitgeist of the of the uh, of the world. Uh, so how you use zeitgeist anyway? Um, sure. Uh, he. Uh, Faraday um, is a great example. Faraday was a huge experimenter. Uh, and if you can uh, contrasted him to Ampere, the French uh, the French chemist, um, who is a much more abstract thinker and did everything in abstract, Faraday did everything via experiments. And he would like painstakingly recreate experiments for himself. Uh, there's a kind of like apocryphal story about when he was young and he was old, old enough to afford, uh, had enough money. He bought copper pennies and silver pennies, put little like electrolyte bits of paper and like water so- so- soaked in salt water between them, and then created a battery. Um, and that was like his first science experiment kind of thing, is making his own battery. And like he couldn't do it until he literally saved up the money to make the battery out of the money. Mm. Um, other things as well that they suggest is visualization, drawing things. So yeah. I, I I took this one away because I've probably in the last couple of years discovered that writing is a good medium of thinking for me. Um, I'm not, not one to sit in an armchair and just ponder, but writing things down helps me think. So I think this is a really good idea as well as like if you could visualize it, draw it. And in that uh, in the article, it um, had this really cool example of bag of words, uh, natural language processing. Yeah. Um, and how like it actually works from a visualization point of view and it did it from a like if you imagine all these balls dropping out of the sky and it catching mm. it and then holding it yeah it was really cool um have, have you seen that visual 
I'll put it in the show notes, which hopefully it still exists, which was uh, walking through like decision tree analysis for house prices or something like that. And it's like, it's the very same. It's like millions of balls that fall down and it's, oh, it's just such a beautiful website. I'll, I'll find it. I think that's what it was. Uh, oh, hopefully it's still around on the internet. Oh, well, it's yeah. on the show notes that we got a hand in at the end. So mm-hmm. good. Um, he then also talks about how like metaphors and parables can also help us and it can also help us remember things as well. So gave an example from the Bible about certain things um, and how that's more effective to say it as a parable rather than a statement um, because it conjures up imagery, which reminds me of this like French book that I've got somewhere up behind me, mm. which is all around like to remember the word you like, remember you like sit down and think for 30 seconds, something really weird about it. Um, yeah. It says, yeah, you know, the words have genders in French, like male or female. Um, you remember boxing gloves hanging around it for a male and then like a bottle of perfume written or, uh, hanging around it. This book was written in the 60s. Um, I mean, it makes and- sense. Like a lot of uh, like Japanese and Chinese uh, have similar things because their language was originally a bit pictographic. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's the two trees. That's the word for forest and things like that. Yeah. I remember because like because I did a bit of Chinese. It was like the symbol for China itself was like an outline of a kingdom. Yeah, yeah. there's an interesting post about how uh, as the Chinese language merged into the common language, which you know is the language of China, the written language of China now, how they modified existing characters across the different dialects. And there's a lot in modern Chinese which is uh, crosses within symbols. And that's where different dialects disagreed on the pictogram. And rather than confuse the matter, they just replaced it with an X. I just found that so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Uh, So yeah, uh, visualizing things um, is good. Then the other one that he suggested, um, and I'm going to read out a quote from this one as well just because it was awesome and it's uh malcolm gladwell who is the author talking about his dad and it was the bravery to look stupid and ask questions and it's a a really a really like cool little story he goes my father has zero intellectual insecurities it has never crossed his mind to be concerned that the world thinks he's an idiot he's not in that game so if he doesn't understand something he just asks you he doesn't care if he sounds foolish. He'll ask the most obvious question without any sort of concern about it. So he asks lots and lots of dumb questions in the best sense of that word. He'll say to someone, I don't understand. Explain that to me. And he'll just keep asking questions until he gets it right. And I grew up listening to him do this in every conceivable setting. If my father had met Bernie Madoff, who was the uh, Ponzi scheme guy from the 90s, I think it was in New York, um, Anyway, he just fooled like half of New York. My father had met Bernie Madoff. He would never have invested with him because he would have said, I don't understand a hundred times. I don't understand how that works in this kind of dumb, slow voice. I don't understand, sir, what is going on. And Malcolm Gladwell's dad was a very famous professor, I believe. So it wasn't actually like he he wasn't just asking dumb questions because he didn't understand anything. So There you go. Yeah, I like that. So... That's the kind of like, yeah, it gets into the mechanics of it. So it's talking about like visualizing metaphors, parables, 
uh, and the bravery to ask questions around things. And uh, this all comes from the point that like you were able to admit to yourself you don't understand to begin with. Yeah. yeah. I think the like takeaway from that section for me is like there's all these like rules of thumb, but really like explaining it, trying to explain it to a five-year-old or trying to explain it to your grandmother. But the point is that change up the medium. Mm. See whether your brain can like deal with the change of medium to explain the concept. That's a good one. I guess it does like break down the bias of just being able to regurgitate uh, in quite an interesting way. Yeah. Because, you know, we always come across, I mean, we as in everyone, <clears throat> you know, you come across those people that they can recall things enough to sound smart, but yeah, you ask them two or three questions and you're like, oh, okay, cool. So like, you know the facts, but there's a layer of depth missing yeah. here. For sure. Yeah, there's that cartoon of the five-year-old asking their dad why they, why they earn money, and it's like three three questions in, and the dad is just like on the ground crying, <laughs> <laughs> like why, they, what they've done with their life. And that is the five whys analysis. Yeah. Um. Nice. Uh. So I'm just saying first, second, third, fourth part because they didn't have any titles, and it just said one, two, three, four, and I. I had to kind yeah. of like get the point out of them myself or what I took away from them. Um, and the fourth party just turns into more advice and it's all about going slow and it's just a long story about, do you remember the chain rule in differentiation from high school? I do. I have an article open about that at the moment because I'm, <laughs> I wanted to, a lot of the way that like modern machine learning uh libraries work is they uh have this thing called automatic differentiation and what that breaks down to is like just take the uh the whole machine learning model represented in code build a big tree of things together of it and apply the chain rule like thousands of times so yes i remember the chain rule flex um <laughs> so, very uh, niche flex <laughs> Basically, in high school, they uh, like you might remember this is they teach you is like, uh, you do you times d on dx by one on x, and then the d's just cancel out, so it becomes one on x squared, and they just kind of feel like yeah that we even though we just insert, inserted this letter d, which like literally isn't a variable, it's just a notation. It's like oh yeah, they cancel out, so it basically like proof they give high school students is notations cancel out. But then apparently if you like get deep into the proof, it's actually because like, well, actually this is meant to be an infinitesimally small change and that's meant to be an mm. infinitesimally small change. So you can approximate that they cancel out. Um, but basically like the, the process is so, the proof is so long that it's not worth teaching high school students, but they want the high school students to walk away knowing this part of the curriculum. And he talks about how there was people in his life that actually went back to like really understand that later in life. And even though they were, you know, math PhDs at this point, going back and understanding those simple things and they slowed down, they slowed down of just skipping over to the easy way of just being like, oh yeah, the D's just magically cancel out. They, they slowed down and went the long way. Um, and so it kind of finishes where he's just like, go slow, slow down. The slower route is the route to understanding. Hmm. Um, 
Then uh, the fifth part is just some recommendation on reviewing the posts on Less Wrong, which they look good to review, but I got a little bit confused as to what was in there. Um, and then part six, he kind of ties it together where he asks you to slow down and he ends with two parables on when you're in doubt, slow down and zoom in, go for look closer to the problem. So if you're like trying to understand how microphones work, it's a like daunting topic. Uh, so zoom in a little bit and understand how, understand how, oh God, I'm about to butcher this. It's like understand how the metal casing is made or something like that. And yep. understand how acoustic metal casing could be. Yeah. Dig me, help me out there. Drop me a life. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Understand completely. Yeah. So zoom in. All right. And he gave an example from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Mm, good book. Which is that book that, as Ali said, everyone loves to say they've read. Um, but there's a quote in it about how essentially it's a long one, so I won't read it out, but how he gives his student, his student couldn't write anything on the US. So he asked her to zoom in and write about her town she was from and she couldn't do that. So he asked her to write about a street that in a town she couldn't do that. And then she asked her, and then he said, all right, he write about the church and she, and then she was able to do about it because she like started, she, and she started like looking at the church and like, started writing about the brick in the top left corner. And then before you know it, she's written 5,000 words. I reckon Cal Newport talked about this on his podcast in the last like two weeks. I'm like, man, I've heard this story somewhere. Uh, I think that's where it was. There you go. Yeah. We are in the, in the zeitgeist, as you put it. Yeah. He said, yeah, get direct experience, get the data yourself, go slow, zoom in. Yeah, nice. Yeah. All right. So, having read this paper, I asked you this last week. What is what's different about Tom White's life on the other side of reading this? To me, I, I'm not sure if I've applied anything actionable since I've done it. But to me, um, having an appreciation for the like the the idea of what understanding means, um, and that there is a large spectrum. There is an incredibly large spectrum. And also, like, I now probably am overestimating how much I actually over-understand things. Um, so, you know, for example, if I probably thought I understood the chain rule. But you know what? I actually don't understand the chain rule. Um, in terms of, like, practical things that I'm going to take away from this, as I said, like, to me, there's a couple of areas in the first, like, the first principles of areas that I operate in that I want to make sure that I do understand. And I think I think a good way to do that is use some of these techniques build some stuff myself visualize it just some metaphors explain to people like i'm five and i'm actually finding that's uh what my writing's really useful for is actually mm. just trying to explain it back on in a different medium rather than just think i've got it. i've understood it so and then the other thing as well you're gonna jump into all these posts unless wrong because they looked really cool yeah i mean that Website is a rabbit hole if there ever were rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I end up there a lot, whether it's like AI related stuff or like just weird esoteric things. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's an interesting place. Mm. Uh, I sometimes would describe it as distilled Reddit. Uh, I don't know if I mean that in a good way. <laughs> There's a little bit of, uh, you know, we breathe the rarefied air within this website kind of mentality. That's all right. 
there's some there's some gold amongst the uh, the silt, as they say. Anyway, Max Max come into the room to hear you. Oh, that's weird. Minus just came into the room too. He's just uh, he's just down here at my feet. Everyone's going to see my washing, but she's staring out the window. Oh, cute. Um, I don't know how I can get the dog on screen without really screwing around here. So I just have to believe that. I mean, if you want to know that I have a dog, go back to literally any episode and wait for the box or the, the crossfade because that's when the dog came in. Um, what do you got cool, for us this week, man? Well, uh, on recommendation from Tom, no less. Actually, yeah, uh, loaded question. <laughs> uh, I thought... It would be interesting to talk about different metrics that are used to evaluate AI. So sensitivity, specificity, positive predictive value, negative predictive value, precision recall, all that different stuff. And like not getting back into first principles, sorry if that's what you wanted after listening to Tom's thing, but like just common failure modes, a lot of the ways that people really don't understand that these metrics shouldn't be used in certain ways. Um, based on a video that we watched a little while ago, uh, which I think was aimed at clinicians, if I remember it correctly, uh, using this in a medical context, so quite relevant to what we do. But um, I guess just giving some conversation, uh, some conversation, some context about what this looks like in our world and like where if you are out there as an AI practitioner or user, potential user of AI or just curious about it like i guess where to be wary about how these metrics can be misleading there's a good book i don't have a copy of it but i'd like to get one which is called how to lie with statistics uh which is all about how people like present statistics that are true but tell a slightly different story i was thinking about writing a post which is uh how to lie with ai which rhymes which makes it infinitely better than the original lay eye yeah or how to tell lies with ai's ai's that's a weird sounding phrasing anyway uh i'm going to supplement this with some visuals which will appear right here uh as we go through <laughs> as you can see we're, we're doing a little bit with like shifting the cameras around and stuff uh one step at a time with this so the visuals we will appear in everything. Yeah, we did both get haircuts. Yeah, That's... you're looking fresh, man. Thanks, man. Thanks. It was, I was well overdue. Uh, and you may notice that I'm not wearing any glasses. Uh, That's because my dog got my glasses and chewed the lenses out of them. Uh, so I'm getting some more tomorrow. That was real annoying. Anyway, anyway, let's get straight into it. So, you know, I think let's start with an easy one that people probably understand and, and talk about how it can be misused and that's accuracy. So accuracy is how many times you got something right divided by the total number of times you tried. So I took 10 guesses. I got nine of them correct. I have 90% accuracy, which is simple and true, but where this gets misused uh, as a building block for what we're going to talk about is let's say the thing that I'm trying to guess is uh, has the world exploded, literally been destroyed. 
Uh, now, hopefully, as a listener, you can tell that the chances of that are pretty damn small. And if I told you I built an AI that could predict whether the world had exploded or not, and it was 90% accurate, and you only thought about 90% accurate, you might think, oh, that sounds pretty good. But let's be honest. If you always guessed, no, the world hasn't exploded, you would be right 99.999. Like, you'd be right almost all the time. And the one time you were wrong, no one would be around to listen. And what that goes to say is that how often something occurs, which is what we call the prior probability, has a big effect on which metrics you should pick. Uh, and that, if you're not going to listen any further to this stats thing, is like the number one reason that all these other metrics get misused. Prior Sorry. probability. Yeah, people just don't take into account the prior probability. People often assume that like, yes, no problems have a 50-50 probability. But has the world exploded is a yes, no problem, has two outcomes, the probabilities are not 50-50, hopefully. I mean, we're in a dark place, especially if you are a crypto investor, you're probably thinking 50-50, I'm bet on that. Um, But... Let's get into some others. So a level above accuracy is sensitivity and specificity. If you've done a bit of AI, you probably have heard those before. What that means is, so sensitivity is, let's say I've got uh, a whole bunch of creatures in a field and some are alpacas and some are llamas and I want to make an AI that takes photos of them and tells them apart. They're pretty similar. I don't know the difference, but this AI does. <laughs> Trick Sens- question. There is no difference. Isn't there? I, I swear. I, I think I they're think- different animals. Let's assume they're the same. Otherwise, let's just say <laughs> duck and geese. Uh, sensitivity is, let's say it's a, it's a duck detector. I like that better. That sounds cool, a duck detector. Uh, cue, the, oh, oh, cue the duck emoji. Uh <laughs> Was that you? Did you make a duck noise? <laughs> I don't know who that was. It must have been a duck. I, t- I should be a duck detector. Um, okay, there's like a bunch of birds. The sensitivity is out of all the ducks, how many did you find? So if there's fifty duck, if there's thirty ducks, let's say, and so it's not 50-50, 30 ducks, and you found twenty of them, you have sixty-six percent sensitivity because you found sixty-six percent of the ducks. That's a useful metric, especially in really uh, asymmetric events. Now, ducks and geese, I mean, I guess if you want to get a duck, it's important you get the right one. But let's think about events that are wildly asymmetric, like do you have cancer or do you not have cancer? Very pertinent thing, which we talk about all the time. Uh, It's very important that you find the cancers. So sensitivity is... Do you find the events that matter? Now, the counter to this is specificity, which is uh, a look at, of all the ones you said were ducks, how many were actually ducks? So if I get 30 ducks 
and call them correctly, I've got a out of if sorry, if I get 20 ducks out of 30, I got two thirds. I got 66% sensitivity. But if I also bought in another 20 geese and I said, yeah, yeah, these are ducks too. Trust me, trust me, buy these. I've got 50% specificity. Uh, and that's similar to false positive rate, uh, which is how often do you incorrectly classify something in the other category. Uh, and again, in the case of cancer, which is where we work, that's how many healthy people did you tell had cancer, which is not a good thing, uh, obviously. But depending on where they are in the process, that might be, let's do another test. We won't call it cancer just yet. We'll just be a little bit more risk-averse. Uh, and so it may be okay to accept some false positives. Question. Yeah. How do you, it took me about a year to remember the difference between sensitivity and specificity as someone that like, I've never had to, I've only ever presented, I've never had to work with it. And so, you know, you don't call back. I, I don't, I, I clearly don't understand them. Um, but it took me about a year to remember them. Do you have a mnemonic or something handy to remember them? <laughs> no. Like, I'm, well, I just kind of remember it like as this, you're looking for something. Uh, and can you sense where it is? That's the sensitivity. It's real. It's dumb, but it works for me. Uh, yeah. And the specificity is kind of similar in that, like, how specific can you be? Like, you know, if you call everything a duck, you're going to have great sensitivity but terrible specificity, um, which is sort of wraps us around to the problem here uh, is that any given piece of AI typically can operate at a number of different tuning points and it trades off sensitivity and specificity and how you make that trade-off is extremely difficult because especially i mean in some of these bigger problems a false positive and a false negative are not the same so there's a big difference between let's say you're I just wanted to think of a low-key one, but like, fuck it, let's not bother. Let's just, yeah, let's do cancer. We know, we know let's cancer. Let's just do cancer. All right. So we, we Tom and I, we, we work at the moment primarily in prostate cancer. And the very first test you'll get is a prostate-specific antigen. It's just a blood test. Like, you don't need to know the specifics. And that test will tell you, should you go and get another follow-up blood test? Or should you be told, no, nah, you're all good, mate. Come see us again in a little while. If you cook up sensitivity you're telling people with cancer that they're fine and potentially letting their cancer grow and get bigger and become a harder problem to deal with in the future. Bring it back to our duck example for the sensitivity. Oh. Uh, let's say you own a... Uh, what is that? Let's say you own a Chinese restaurant you want to make Peking duck. Yep. And you go to this farm and you're like, hey man, some of these birds look like ducks. Can I have a duck? I've got tons of hungry customers. And they say, no nah, man, no ducks. That's lost revenue. There's no, there's unhappy customers, lost revenue. That's the chance of having, of missing it, of telling the people that there's no ducks. On the flip side, uh, let's say and then on geese, because 
if you serve a goose at a restaurant, I'm sure it's fine. Let's say it's an ibis because ibises are gross. If you don't know what they are, they're, they're bin chickens. That's what we call them here in, in Queensland, bin chickens. I'll put a picture up here. There is no bin chicken emoji to the best of my knowledge. Uh, if you sell the guy that owns the restaurant a bin chicken instead of a duck and he serves Peking ibis, uh, that's going to be real bad. Literally a restaurant that did that in Brisbane and it got shut down. Yeah, that. see, I heard the same thing at high school. I actually think that's one of those things that like everyone just heard at high school and it yeah, never yeah. really happened. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we're like way off track with this. Uh, sensitivity and specificity. All right. So the way that a lot of that gets combined is into this metric called AUC, which is saying, okay, your model, your AI, we can be very sensitive because we don't want to miss anything or we can be very specific because we don't want to give any false positives and we can be everything in between. So if we just incrementally made our way from one extreme to the other, uh, how Which good are we on average? One end, one end of the spectrum is saying everything is a duck and then the other end of the spectrum is nothing is a duck. Exactly. Uh, and we put that on a chart and it forms sort of like a curved line and we color in the area under that line and that can be somewhere between zero and one. That's called the AUC. Um, a lot of people will be familiar with that term. The sensitivity, the specificity and the AUC, they're good metrics and they're robust to a lot of things. Uh, in general, they're robust to things like prevalence so if you had a AI that could pick ducks from chicken, uh, ducks from ibises and you took it to two different farms that just had ducks and ibises, uh, the sensitivity and specificity numbers that you measured on one farm would apply on a different farm, uh, even though there's a different ratio of ducks and chickens. So that's a good thing. But Ducks and ibis. Ducks and ibis, sorry. Uh, but where this often gets messed up is that that is true, assuming the two farms are pretty much identical. And this in health tech is where this gets messed up so often. Uh, so, fuck, I don't know how I'm going to explain this with ducks and chickens, so I'm not going to bother. Go back to cancer. Go back to cancer. All right. So, generally speaking, if you took like two islands of people and you ran the same model on them, the metrics would hold up across the board. Uh, so you can compare two different models on those same groups of people and say like, this one's better than this one because its metrics are better. Where I see this get messed up so often is people assuming that that applies just unanimously. And the counter example here is like, if you took a group of patients at a primary care GP type setting, versus a group of patients at a specialist setting. Uh, they have very different prior probabilities, very different sort of distributions of their data. Uh, and just by the very fact that they've been sent to a specialist, it means they're high risk. So, so yeah. Yeah, if, if, if we consider the island example, if you put an island of in all healthy people with basically no chance of cancer and then the other island had a nuclear plant that or like, like, caused incredibly yeah. high rates of cancer. Yeah, they're not and the did, same. And you ran the algorithm on, yep, they're not the same. They're not the same. And people, 
in a lot of papers compare those two scenarios and they say, oh yeah, but I, I made this AI and it's really, really good. But as it turns out, everybody they picked had the hidden bonus that they were just about to go and get surgery for their cancer. So it's not really as good if it's applied on the general population in which cancer is naturally a lot less prevalent. And it's a tricky thing to explain. Let me see if I can bring the duck example in. Okay. So you go to one, you go to one farm and there is a thousand birds on this farm. Yep. And there is 25 ducks hidden throughout yep. these ibises. And you bring it along and your, your results are run on this farm and they're not as good. You go down the road to the next farm and it's flipped. Ducks everywhere. And there's only a few ibises hidden throughout. Your results then get better on a finding on how good you are at fighting ducks because there's just so many damn ducks in that farm and it's really hard to get a bad result because they don't picking an ibis happens so infrequently kind of so if you just shifted if you just had two farms and birds were randomly assigned it would be just as good even if one of them was had tons of ibises the problem comes if the second farm let's say it only wants ducks and your model looks at the colors of feathers and to de- determine whether it's an ibis or a duck. But one of the criteria for getting uh, buying a bird at the second farm is looking at its beak. And you say, like, if the beak looks kind of like this, I don't want it. So behind the scenes, something else has happened to grab that whole population and filter it down. Uh, that's when these problems occur. And it's like, okay, you're going to get a whole bunch of ducks and you're going to get only the ibises whose beaks look like duck beaks. So you're naturally going to have a much harder time. Okay. Can you throw in a, like an example? I think an example here would help. Don't need to throw any study under the bus or anything like that, but something you read where, because we always talk about it of like, generally the answer is, oh, they only did this test on people that basically already had cancer. Yeah, I mean, the the big one that comes up here, yeah, is that is that the easiest way to find people for a study uh, on cancer is to find go into the oncology ward. But if you don't have good people from the general population, you're naturally going to be biased towards people in an oncology ward. And the criteria there is your beak looks like a duck beak. You know, you have something that sent you to the oncology ward which more than likely means cancer, which is why a lot of you know, good study design comes into making sure your population is representative in that way. Yeah. Okay. Good, good. So we've hit accuracy. We've hit sensitivity. We've hit specificity. We've hit AUC. We've hit prevalence. And we've hit bin chicken. What else there, are we going to go through? Yeah, I mean, there's other metrics that get used uh which are things like positive predictive value and negative Mm -hmm. predictive value uh and these are i mean this this all gets really well explained with this uh this little grid uh which i'll put up put up here uh which looks at you know which quadrants in the grid of true positives true negatives false positive false negatives get 
embedded into this metric. Uh, and depending on which ones you consider, you can kind of see where the failure modes are going to be. Positive predictive value says, if I get a positive result, so if my COVID test comes back positive for COVID, what's the likelihood that I actually have COVID? And if you've got a good sensitivity but a very bad specificity, that's going to be a low number because it's like, well, yes, all of the people that have COVID are going to have a positive test, but for every person that has COVID and gets a positive, there's 10 others that are false positives, so that has a low positive predictive value. Uh, similarly, with so it's the kind of like how true is your how how true is your positive? How true is your positive? That's a good way to put it. And similar, how true is your negative? Uh, so you know, to flip it into something else, like if you are worried that you have an ailment, let's say cancer, you go get a bunch of tests and it comes back negative. The negative predictive value says, "What's that negative worth? How much does it mean to get a negative?" Uh, and tests that are geared towards specificity, but maybe have poor sensitivity, it might be, well, not much. We need to do more tests because this is not giving us enough confidence that we're negative. So it's a negative predictive value. Uh, and there is a real art to like picking which, uh, there's also precision recall. Recall is the same as sensitivity. Uh, precision I think it's the same as negative predictive value. I can't remember. Anyway, if you look at this quadrant, you'll see clearly which one it is. But uh, yes. there is a real art to picking which metrics are most appropriate for your problem. And the naive choices really, well, it's, it's probably correct enough that that's why it's the default. But uh, if you're, I, I mean, here's a good rule of thumb. If one outcome is way worse than the other outcome or way better or one outcome is way more likely or way less likely just generally uh think deeply about which algorithms you pick if it's coin flips you could pick pretty much anything but a lot of real world situations you know fraud detection cancer detection where things are asymmetric you need to think a lot about which metrics you pick and it's very easy to pick the wrong ones and get your paper published in less than reputable places because good reviewers will pick this up. Uh, and if you're reading papers, it's very easy to, I guess, get misled that some things are better than they really are. So let's, uh, I remember, I remember, you know, COVID's coming around, you know, COVID started. And suddenly we're trying to scramble to get these tests and tests then became available. And then there was this debate between, you know, the, uh, the rapid antigen where you kind of just like spit in a tube um, yep. versus the like PCR, I think was the longer one. Um, yep. And everyone kept on talking about the accuracy between the two, the difference in accuracy and yeah. the words 60% accurate and the words 90% accurate were thrown out and things like that. Do you remember like any examples where like numbers were being used incorrectly oh yeah like, like like tons around these tests this is this is actually a really common sort of thing is that yeah in this covid stuff people didn't talk about the sensitivity and specificity or the positive predictive values yeah they talk about accuracy um mm. and i mean let, let's just think about that for a second in in the context of of covid and then we'll wrap this up is that in the early days of covid 
one in 10,000 people had it, maybe one in 100,000. So that is the prior probability. If you look today, even here in Brisbane, there's like 10,000 cases a day. So the prize is shifting in a way that's really affecting whether what that sensitivity and specificity means uh, mm. and how the positive and negative predictive value changes, which really shifts like how one as an individual should interpret a positive or negative result. Mm. And, it's tricky. And also the outcomes, as you said as well, the outcomes are asymmetric. The, from a from a public health point of view, the cost of a false negative when you're trying to stop the spread of a pandemic, if people are taking these tests and using them to take action such as isolation, the cost of a false negative is incredibly costly because that person will go on to infect somewhere between two and fourteen people, depending on uh, depending on their level of infection and and level of symptoms. So you would much if you had to trade off you would much prefer you would much prefer a very high negative predictive value than mm. a than a high positive predictive value so you you would much value that whenever you say it's a no you are very confident it's a no rather than if you say it's a yes yeah you'd rather accidentally put people into isolation than not put someone who has covid not into isolation yeah and and a good example of how that dynamic has shifted is that like now that a good majority of the population is double plus vaxxed and the risks are much lower, the sort of cost benefit is starting to shift is that like, okay, if you keep all these people at home and their risk of harm is pretty low and the risk of getting it is not as mm. marginally decreased by keeping this person at home, you have to start to consider like different trade-off values. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not trying to take some political position on any of this, but like it does shift um, because, you know, let's say in another scenario, everybody has it out there. Mm. Well, like locking somebody down would be kind of insane. It's a, uh... Oh, damn it, now we've got the little flag on Spotify that says COVID information. Oh, I've always wanted that. Yeah, yeah, good. No, this isn't health advice, obviously. If you've made it this far and think this is health advice, uh, it's not. Yeah, you should go talk to your bin chicken about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't eat ibis. That's the only tangible health advice we'll give in this show. Um, it's great. I uh, I always love... I actually asked Elliot to talk about this because I think it's always great to hear from the horse's mouth this. But one thing that I wanted to comment on that you said that I found very interesting that you said is be very careful about what metrics you pick, not metric. And oh, like, yeah. I think that's probably the first leap that we need to make as I'll say layman on this subject is there isn't some one magic metric to rule them all that you can compare them to you can start if you if you're comparing my understanding is uh if you're comparing similar populations with similar models for similar outcomes you could probably start to compare individual metrics such as auc yep um but as we just showed with the COVID example the metrics might change in importance over time yeah um yep absolutely depending and on you... where you you go 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's even cases where comparing AUC might not work in that, like, if your problem requires you to not miss anything, like with cancer, you kind of have to operate in a certain range of sensitivity. Like, you you just wouldn't accept less than, let's say, 80% of the cancer is getting picked up. If I make a model that's really good there when I want to pick up 80% of the cancers, but when I want to be really specific, it starts to drop off in performance and you make a model that sucks down there, but it's really good at being specific, we might have the same AUC, but where it matters and within the context of the problem, one model is going to be significantly more appropriate than the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what would you, what would you say to someone where you're like, oh, but I, what about, I just want to know that if I give you a thousand cancer cases, I want to know how many you call correctly both ways. What, what What's your answer to someone like that? I, so I, you... I mean, yeah, you, you can report accuracy in that case. Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, you, you got to take the time to really explain why sensitivity, specificity are important in that context. Um, yeah, if, if they told you, I want to give you a thousand cases and... I value a positive at this many points and a negative at this many points. Find me the best way to maximize points. You can do that. You know, if the doctor's like, I'm happy to do 10 extra follow-up blood tests for every cancer I don't miss, then you can pick a metric. But a lot of the time it's not looked at that way. Wow. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I mean, we're coming up on time. It's been about an hour. Yeah. Uh, I will add some graphics in post. Uh, yeah. There's a little little bouncing around. Hopefully people stuck with us through that. Is our mascot now the bin chicken? It'd oh, be a good one. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's got to be the bin chicken. Yeah. yeah. We'll sit on that. We'll think of that. A bin chicken. Oh, my gosh. It's a quadrant with bin chickens and, and uh, ducks. Yep. We got to think of, think of <laughs> the DuckDetectors. DuckDetector.org. Uh, it's a charitable, charitable organization. Anyway, man, anything you want to plug before we sign off? Yeah, what have you been up to this week? Uh, uh, doing lots of work. We're raising money, trying to get some investors on board with the amazing stuff that we're doing, teaching them about think sensitivity. About- Specificity. Eight subscribers are accidentally venture capitalists. Uh. Yeah, uh, we are raising. Uh, yeah, so I've been I've been doing that. I started a new routine at the gym. One that Tom sent me. Uh, it's called Super Squats. It's really hard. I did the first round of it today. Switched to this new program. Uh, so that's fun. That's what I'll plug this week is Super Squats, the program. It's eleven bucks for the ebook. Uh, you can probably find the routine somewhere. It's like 50 pages, the whole book. Uh, but it's good. It's hard. And apparently I'm going to be huge. So by episode 10, when we go live, yeah. I will need a wide frame lens. <laughs> what, are, what about you? Uh, I did one of my first book summaries this week on a book called Good to Great, um, which was, which was uh, yeah, I like doing book summaries because it helps me remember them. On the range of also, like good to great, where would you place a book? Uh, on the greater side of things, it's a good book. It's a really yeah, good, good book. Yeah, I, um, I've also updated my blog to include all of my Mac 
uh, my dog related content. Um, so she's now the logo and she's also now going to be uh, posing for every book summary I've decided. So she's going to pose with every book summary. So good, good. Cute. So get on there. Tom, I, Tom I have no doubt that my, my writing will not get anyone across the line, but pictures of Mac will. That's kind of what I've decided. Same reasonable. Or, or come for the dog, stay for the insights. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, man. Well, with that, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking out episode six. Only four more episodes until this live episode. We're going to do 10 rapid fire topics rather than our usual two. If you've got any and you want to send them through, send them through. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. 10 total or five each? Five each. That kind of, the same thing. That's the same. You know yeah. what I mean? Five each. Okay, five. Five each. Good, good. Oh, All right, everyone. Have a fantastic week, weekend, whenever you listen to this. We'll see you on the next one. Bye, everyone.